And I invite you to take the word of the Lord this morning and open it to the gospel according to Luke. We're going to be looking at chapter 15. Our text this morning is verses 11 to 32. Luke chapter 15, uh, verse 11 down to verse number 32. Now that you've gotten comfortable, I would ask you to, if you're able, to stand once again out of reverence for God's word as we read together this amazing parable. Let's hear the word of the Lord this morning recorded through Luke. He says this, And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. He divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of his citizens, to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, These many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. He said to him, son, 
You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, would you help us now as we open your word, we pray and beg Holy Father, that you would open our hearts to receive your word. Father, would you do what only you can do? That your spirit would take your word and speak to us this morning. Father, we humbly pray. Father, help us who are trusting in you to love you and see you more and more for who you are. For the person here this morning who has not renounced all that they have, who has not renounced even his own self and given all that he has to come after you, Father, would you open his or her eyes to see their need of Christ? Father, we pray these things asking you to do them for your glory and for our good. We pray in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. This morning, we come to what some have argued is Jesus's most famous parable, even if it is only recorded for us in the Gospel of Luke. And for good reason, right? This parable is majestic. We could almost just read it and then pray and be gone. Unfortunately, though, as we come to this parable, the title given to the parable and probably that you think of of this parable isn't the best in helping us understand and focus on the main point. Our Bibles call this, and we know this, as the parable of the prodigal son, uh, just ask this, it's always good to check your words, especially if you're preaching on a text. And so to think for just a moment, in your mind, what does the word prodigal mean? What does that word mean? Do you understand what that word is speaking about? Well, the word prodigal means a wasteful spending of money and resources, reckless spending, uncontrolled, etc. So the word prodigal means reckless Spending. So this is the parable as that uh, title gives it to the reckless spending son. Well, yes, that's what one of the sons does, but the parable is about so much more than that. As Adam mentioned last week, this parable is one of three that Jesus gives to defend and to explain to the Pharisees why he draws near to tax collectors and sinners. So verses number one and two of chapter 15 are absolutely crucial for our understanding of this parable. The Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling, as we have seen. They are upset because, as verse two explains, Jesus, this man, receives sinners and eats with them. The first two parables highlighted how God values the lost he leaves the 99 and seeks after the one. The one lost coin is sought 
until it is found, until that coin is brought back. And in this parable we're looking at today, there is a son that is lost, a son that is found, but Jesus continues the parable. He introduces another person. In fact, we could argue the main point, which is about the elder brother who is angry at God's receiving of sinners. And so Jesus includes a character in this parable to resemble the response of the Pharisees and their actions. So this parable is so majestic and rich. It teaches us about so many things. It teaches us about sin, about fallen mankind, willful rebellion against God. It gives a beautiful picture of biblical repentance, of turning away from sin, a beautiful picture of unfathomable grace in our Father, and a picture of a cold, angry heart towards God's acceptance of sinners. So it's my prayer that as followers of Christ this morning, if you're here after Christ, you've given of your life to follow after him, that we would greatly be impacted by the story as we see God's grace bestowed on sinful mankind. And that if you're not trusting in Jesus this morning, if you've not given of your life to follow after Jesus and to seek after him, that you will see your need to believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior and that you will see that he stands ready to embrace you. So we're gonna jump into this parable. There's a lot that we could look at in this parable. We're gonna try to hit the main themes and get at the main point. We're gonna use three main movements of the parable as kind of hooks, uh, movements and characters uh, as our structure and outline this morning. So first thing we see here in verses 11 to 20 is the sinful son who comes to repent. The sinful son who comes to repent. So Jesus introduces all of these characters of the parable in verse number 11. There is a father and there are two sons, right? So father and two sons. In verses 12 to 20, Luke shows us two main movements of this first younger son. He's going to show us uh, and describe his sinful actions. And then he's going to show us a picture of repentance. So this younger son, as, as we're well, we're familiar with this parable, it's going to describe his sinfulness, the depths of it, and then the beauty of his repentance. So let's look at those uh, two things. First, we see the sinfulness of the son. And right off the bat, the actions of this younger son are absolutely shocking. He commands his father to give him his share of the family property, the property that is coming to him. Even the words are kind of just terse right off the bat, aren't they? Verse number 11, and he said there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. Calls out to his father, he commands him to give. And the father divided his property, better translated livelihood, the livelihood of the father and, and the household, and he gave him his portion of the land. So the son was in line to receive uh, a third of the estate, the older son, would receive double that, so two-thirds of the estate, and he wanted his stuff now. And this was a very thing for the, uh, costly thing for the father 
to do. It's not like the father had a bank account with a certain amount of cash and then he just could go and withdraw a third and give it to the son. No, instead the father had to, his money was in his property and whatever it was that his adventure was. He had to divide the land, divide the assets. You are in business for yourself. Know directly how hard this could be to try to divide your business up put a price on it and divide it and give it away. So already we're not supposed to like this guy, this younger son. No doubt the scribes and the Pharisees as they heard this parable coming were already thinking, man, what a piece of work this kid is. They're probably also thinking, why would the father even do this? He should discipline him, not listen to his commands. And so in a few days, the son turns his inheritance into cash on hand and he heads off to a foreign land goes off into a foreign land. He doesn't start a new business adventure in, or invest that money. No, he lived it up. As the text says, he squandered all that he had in reckless living, wild living. That's where we get the word prodigal son. He spent it in wild living. He hit Vegas and blew it all. The money ran out, as we know, so did the friends that the money brought. He was the new kid in town, Friends flocked to him, couldn't pick up the tab any longer, and the friends left him. He hit bottom, rock bottom. Here's the picture we see this man hit, and not only that, here comes a famine. So we see the hand of God even coming against him. He squandered all that he had. A famine comes against him, and he hit the lowest of the low, especially for a Jewish man. He hired himself out to work with pigs, as you know, this would have been an abomination for a Jewish man. Not, not only to eat unclean pigs, but to work with them and feed them was just unthinkable. Not only that, but to see what the pigs are eating, and as verse four, uh, 16 states, to long to be fed with what the, the pigs ate. Just think about that for a minute. Think about the picture of how rock bottom he had hit and how bad things have gotten for him. I mean, have you ever seen a pig eat? You ever seen a pig eat? And can you imagine saying, I wish I could eat that? What a pig sitting there chewing these carob pods, most likely that these kind of bitter pods that they were eating and that they would feed the animals. And here he is saying, I wish I could eat what this pig is eating and nobody gave him anything. Jesus is painting a very vivid picture for us here in these verses. This young son had made horrible decisions and he was paying for the consequences of his sins. But the parable continues. Second, we see this concept of repentance that comes in verse 17 to 20. So a bad picture of sin and then a beautiful picture of repentance. Verse 17, we see a change take place in this young man's life. He repented of his sins. He determined to arise and go to his father. As we're going to look quickly in these verses, you couldn't paint a more beautiful picture of repentance than what we see in these verses. And that's part of the, part of the point. Verse 17, we see a Hebrewism in he came to himself. That's just a Hebrew expression that means he repented. So we saw with the, uh, both in the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin, 
One sinner repents, verse number seven, then down to verse number 10, one sinner who repents. Well, here's the repentant part in this one. He came to himself meant he repented. He determined in his mind that he was wrong. Then he began to think about what he knew of his father's kingdom. He assessed his life, what he had done, and he's able to swallow his pride and say, I am wrong. The way I'm viewing things, the way that I am living is not right. I am sinful. I don't deserve acceptance. Look at what he says, verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. The hired servant, we need to know, was the lowest of the low in that society. Slaves had more rights than hired servants who were only hired out a day at a time. This would be somebody who would come work. The only obligation would be to pay them for that day. You did, the, the owner did not have to look out for them. There was no anything the owner owed them other than to just pay you for what you did that day. And after that, you're on your own. And that is even if you could get work for the day. So they were the lowest of the low. And this younger son determines what he will say to his father in verse 18, we see another idiom. He says, I have sinned against heaven. That means I have sinned against God. What a beautiful confession. He sees his sin. He confesses his sin is before God. He realizes I, my sin is against God Almighty. And that's first and foremost what he confesses, much like David in Psalm 51 and confessing his sin to say, Lord, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Here he says, God, I have sinned against you. What a beautiful confession. He sees his sin. He confesses his sin before God Yet he's also sinned against his father. He confesses that. I'm not worthy to be called your son, not even a slave. Make me a hired servant. You see, we see in this passage, true repentance brings about change in our life. That's what we see him doing. He's repenting and that repentance necessarily brings about change in his actions. What does he do? He arose. He arose and came to his father. The theme of repentance again is continued from the first two parables that we see here, again from verse seven, verse number 10. Here it's verse 33. This younger son renounces all that he has. Kind of even thinking back to chapter 14, verse 33, Jesus says, so therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. This man didn't have much. He had nothing, but he still had himself and he renounced it. He renounced it. It's kind of the other side of things, right? It, it, just because someone is poor doesn't mean you don't have to renounce all that you have. Whether you're poor, whether you're rich, you renounce all that you have to follow after Christ. That's what this young man did. He renounced all that he had. He said, I'm gonna rise, go to my father. Maybe he was singing, he will embrace me in his arms, in the arms of 10,000 charms. Maybe he was singing that as he went. 
He renounces and goes to his father. It's a beautiful picture of repentance in the text, which brings us to the father's, uh, the gracious father who accepts repentant sinners in the next few verses, 20 to 24. These verses are some of the sweetest verses in all of Scripture. As you study verse 20 to 24, it is absolutely hard not to be overcome with emotion as you read these verses, if you realize what they're doing. These verses describe for us in parable form how God receives repentant sinners who come to him. These verses describe in parable for us to see God's attitude towards sinful people who repent. So as we quickly look at these verses, for those of you trusting in Christ, be encouraged in how God receives you. And if you're not trusting in Christ, this parable is a picture of how God receives repentant sinners and how God will receive you if you come to him. It's a beautiful picture. So the father, as you know, he saw the son coming a long way off. The beauty of these in verse number 20 and following I imagine, you know, of course, this is family in the parable. You know how you see somebody from a long way off and you can kind of, you might not see their face, but you can tell their cadence, how they walk. People have different types of walk and you can, you can see that from a distance. He knew his son. He saw him a long way off. I imagine he's 10, 15 plus pounds skinnier than when he left, but he knew him. He saw him a long way off. And what was the father's first response in seeing his lost son. Let me just remind you, whatever's on the inside, when you're confronted with something, that's what comes out, right? That can be good and that can be very bad for us sinful people. Whatever's on the inside comes out. The father in this parable, parable looking at God, how does he see him immediately when he sees his son? The parable says he felt compassion, God felt compassion towards a sinful son who might as well have spit in his face and left. How amazing is our God, sinful people affront against him when they turn and come to our father, he has compassion on us. This word had to do with uh, having affection. Literally, this, this word here, felt compassion, it's one of my favorites, it's feeling it in your guts. That's what the word literally described. It talks about intestines, we don't really say that, but we say our stomach, you feel that, right? You, you feel it. That's what it says here of God. He felt he was moved inwardly with compassion towards this sinful son. And the father ran, as you know, something that no respectful older person did in that society. Ran. He would have to pull up his robe. He'd have to tuck it in. He'd have to gird his loins, so to speak. And he ran. Again, something of thought that's just not respect. It's a little different. I know um, most of us don't run if, if we're older because we're old. But in this society here, running was just not, so, it was not respectable 
uh, to be seen to do. But I imagine an agrarian society, fields around, other people are going to see this. And all of a sudden, here goes the father as fast as he could. He's taking off running towards the son. He sees a long way off coming to him. What does he do? Does he see him and ream him out for what he's done? No, the text says he embraced him. He kissed him. Literally, he fell upon his neck. So this skinny, famished, no doubt nasty, stinking son is being hugged and kissed by his father. Can you picture it? Can you picture it? And he repeats his confession to his father in verse number 21. But he doesn't get to the last part, the part that he says, make me as one of your hired servants, that part. Probably because his father, I imagine, interrupted him as he's saying this, and his father says, bring all the things. Bring it all. Bring the best robe. Bring the shoes. Bring the ring. He's basically saying, reinstate him. He is part of the family. Bring the fattened calf. Kill it. It's time to feast. It's time to celebrate. It's time to party. The fattened calf is literally the grain-fed calf. Just pointing that out for some of you people who love grain-fed meat. It's biblical, right? We see that here. The one that's kept in the barn for special occasion, right? This is the one that you don't touch unless something big happens. He's out in the barn. Yet the father said, it's time. Bring the fatted calf. It is time to eat. Quite the contrast of parties, isn't it? From the son out partying and living it up how he thinks is partying. And then the concept of being in the kingdom of God embraced with the Father is nothing that's just bland and boring and, oh, it's a party, it's marvelous. Why all the big celebration? Well, the point is given in verse number 24, for, that is, that's why we party, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. The lost son had been found, the spiritually dead had been raised to life. That, my friends, is occasion to celebrate. But what about the Pharisees and the scribes? Remember, this is a parable. Jesus is speaking. What do you think is going on in their mind as they hear this parable? Well, we don't really have to guess because Jesus includes them in their reaction in the parable with the eldest son. And these verses aren't just some appendage to an otherwise nice parable. They are, in fact, the point of what Jesus is getting at. We see, thirdly, the self-righteous son who rejects the Father's grace, verse 25 to 32. In these final verses, the thoughts and the mindset of the eldest son is described. And as mentioned, this was the part for those mentioned in verse number two, the ones that says, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus is seeking to expose their self-righteous attitude. He's exposing a works-based religion on their part, as we'll see. So the eldest son was out in the field, probably working, overseeing, whatever, and he heard music and dancing taking place. This was a quick party. This was a quick feast. Verse 26 and he called one of his servants and asked what the things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father's killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry 
He refused to go in. So his brothers come back, his father has reinstated the son, the younger son, and the eldest brother is ticked off about it. He is angry. He refused to go to the party. I'm not going to be a part of this celebration. And this, at this point, many people are there celebrating. The father only had two sons. It would be a big deal if one of them didn't come to the party. In fact, we see a bit of irony in this passage. The one who had been inside was now outside, and the son who had been outside is now inside. He repented. Why do, what does the father do in this case? Graciously, the father goes out to meet the eldest son. And he pleaded with him to come to the party. He pleaded with him to celebrate. Why didn't the eldest son want to go in? What was his mindset? Why was he so angry? We see it in verse 29. In his statement... This is, the elder son could not comprehend the father's grace. You see, those seeking to keep the law to become righteous are not happy with God's grace and mercy shown towards undeserving sinners. Notice how the eldest son viewed his relationship to the father. He says, these many years, I have, better translated, been slaving for you. I've been slaving for you. That's his view. I never disobeyed your command. Hmm. Wow. Never disobeyed? Perfectly kept the law? That's, that's good. That is good. This mirrors the mindset of those in verse 7 who are the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And then there's the resentment of self-righteousness. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. A goat would have been way more common food. Doesn't sound so good for us to get a, a, a goat per se. You, you never gave me a Chick-fil-A sandwich, yet you give this sinful son of yours a grass-fed porterhouse steak. That's the thought here. Graciously, tenderly, the father tells the son in verse 31, And he said to him, son or child, you're, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. In reality, the son still has the same share of the property and the inheritance. He still gets two-thirds, so to speak. A goat was always available to him actually all along and the acceptance of this younger son in no way diminished the elder son's status. His brother coming back doesn't mean that he's now kicked out or he's not important to the father. That's not what is taking place. But the younger son, or he as the older son, couldn't see this. For a works-based religion fails to see that at the end of the day, we are all miserable sinners. The oldest son had been seeking acceptance from his father by means of obedience. We see it in his answer. How is he relating to him? I'm slaving for you. I'm keeping this law. And how unfair it is if someone who completely disobeyed the law and lived as sinfully as this younger brother is now accepted joyfully back into the family. Grace just isn't fair. 
Grace just isn't deserved. That, brothers and sisters, is the point. Grace is not deserved. Sinful people do not deserve grace. Simple people do not deserve a place at the table. That is why a celebration had to occur. Verse number 32, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He's lost and is found. It was fitting is a, I kindly say a horrible translation. Better translated is it is necessary. Celebration has to happen. Why? Because someone who is lost was found. Clarify, speak it again. Someone who is dead is now alive. And listen, that is a matter to celebrate. Something amazing had happened, and it necessitated celebration. And Jesus is teaching this in relation to the Pharisees and the scribe of why Jesus hangs out with sinful people. Why does this happen? Why is there celebration? So that what is lost can be found. That is our God. He seeks the sinner to bring them to salvation raises the dead to life. The salvation of sinful people is nothing less than a miracle. The spiritually dead being given new life and the lost being found, that's what God is in the business of doing. God is in the business of raising dead people. Works righteousness doesn't necessitate celebration because you get what you deserve. But repentance and grace, it deserves celebration because you get something you could never earn. You get God's mercy. That's why when we sing songs like we sing today of the cross and in what Jesus has done for us, there is a theme of celebration that rises in our hearts because we are confessing together, yes, God has done what I could not do for myself. He has saved me by the blood of Jesus Christ. All praise goes to him. All glory goes to him. It was his light that came upon me that gave me life. It's not what I had done or my obedience that brought me to him. It's all of his grace. That necessitates celebration. This is why Jesus keeps company with sinners. This is why he receives sinners and eats with them. And that's exactly why the Pharisees and the scribes grumble. Because people weren't getting what they didn't deserve. They were blind to their own sin. And Jesus is telling them this parable to teach them that God seeks the lost. God saves sinners. That's what he is doing. That is why Jesus has come to rub shoulders with the people that he does and to eat with them. He didn't come for the righteous, those who think they're righteous. There's no such thing as a righteous person. We know that. Many people think they're righteous and don't need Jesus. Jesus says, I've come for the sinner. If you're not trusting in Jesus for salvation, as we just stand back and look at this parable for a minute, this parable is teaching that Jesus has come for you. With the younger son, there is just a beautiful picture of salvation. This man sinned greatly, greatly, flamboyantly. He, he sinned in a way that the older son didn't. We're gonna, we'll get to the older son in just a second. But he sinned 
lavishly. Some of you may have come from that perspective or maybe you're hearing this this morning and you're kind of coming from that perspective and, and many and oftentimes the thought, thought is, Jesus can't forgive me. God can't forgive, you don't know what I've done. Je Jesus, yeah, I have sinned in ways that other people don't know about. You don't know how bad it is to which the Bible says Jesus has come for the sinner. If you confess your sins, Jesus will forgive you. Just as the Father stood there ready to receive the lost coming to him, Jesus stands ready today to receive you. Confess your sin, confess before God, give yourself over to Christ and come and follow Jesus. There is no sin too great that Jesus cannot forgive to him by faith. Believe in Jesus and you will be saved. What a beautiful picture. Just think of this prodigal, wild, living son. He is accepted. You know what else is truly amazing about this parable? Jesus not only receives extravagant sinners, Jesus even welcomes self-righteous Pharisees to the table. It's truly amazing that the father not only went out running to receive the prodigal son, he also went out to plead with the law keeping in order to be saved older son. He also went out to plead with him. As one commentary said, some sinners smell of the hog pen, but others reek of the church pew. And Jesus appeals to them as well. The scribes and the Pharisees failed to see this point. That they were close, but they were outside. They were close, but they were outside. Maybe, maybe that describes some of you here today. You've been around church, but your coming to God is not through grace. You haven't truly seen your sin for what it is, a holy affront against God, and you're viewing your obedience inaccurately, maybe thinking that if I do these things and, and if I'm good and live like this, which is good to live good, but you can think maybe God will accept me if I live a good life, if, if I do my best to keep his commands, maybe God will forgive me and accept me. Myself growing up in church, that was my thought as a young child. That, that was my sort of twisted perspective. It was not the pastor's fault, it's my own sinful fault. I had to come to the conclusion yeah, some people smell of the hog pen and some people smell of the church pew and we all stink. You know, if you're dead, you're dead. There's no such thing as mostly dead, almost dead, or pretty much mostly dead. No, if you're dead, you're dead. It doesn't matter if you're dead living it up in the world or if you're dead sitting in a church pew. God gives life to both. And it's a miracle. 
It's a miracle and it necessitates celebration. One of the interesting things here is that uh, that's where the parable ended. Uh, they're, they're, how did this eldest son respond? We don't know. We don't know. Jesus left the parable, ended. So he did that to, to just leave them in the hot seat, these scribes and Pharisees hearing this, this parable. Because they know he's going to be talking about them right there. And Jesus just lets that sit with them. How are they going to respond to the Father's grace? Even as followers of Jesus, we can be tempted to act like the elder son in this parable. We can be tempted to view obedience as slavery and not as delight. We can be tempted to think and be distorted through our own hearts to think, I'm a pretty good person. How you think about this guy? He's out there doing these. I'm a pretty good person. Instead, we need to constantly realize we are all sinners. And we need to rejoice when anyone, anyone repents and runs to Jesus Christ. That's our response. What would a proper response for the elder brother have been to his wasteful brother repenting and returning? What would a proper response have been? Well, I think part of the answer is joy. Joy that another sinner had received grace just like he had. And happiness. Because now the other brother could enjoy the pleasures of serving and working in the Father's kingdom with which there are 10,000 charms. Just like he had the pleasures of serving an amazing, gracious Father who provides for him. God help us to have that response. God help us to be a church that has this response when by God's grace we see people repent of their sinful lifestyles, whatever they may be, and come to Jesus. May that be our response to celebrate. And I pray that we can all be impacted today by being confronted with the grace of our heavenly Father. Through Jesus Christ, God truly gives each of us what we absolutely do not deserve. Lost to found, dead to life. And it is necessary for us to celebrate that because of what has happened. May, may we be a people who see and recognize that God has saved us by his grace and mercy. We are all sinful. The Father has come for all of us. He has received us by his grace. And though we were outside of the table, we've been brought in to table fellowship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, let us never get away from the fact in our growth in the Christian walk about how God has saved us as sinners. We need to always be reminded of that. As God begins to change us by his grace and mold us into his image, he has saved us mightily from sin and we didn't deserve it. But God has done it. May we ever be impacted by that fact in our lives. God has given us 
what we do not deserve from loss to found, from death to life. And brothers and sisters, let us celebrate that fact. As we come to church, as we sing, sing with joy, no matter what type of week that we've had, we have, yes, there's songs of sorrow where we express our sorrow to God. There's songs of joy and delight where we confess together what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And no matter what our stance or our week has been, we can always praise God for that. He is gracious. He has given us what we don't deserve. May we repent of our sin, renounce all that we have, and follow after this gracious Father. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, sent to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Father, I pray this morning, maybe someone is here who has been near to the church but not viewing their sin correctly or their obedience correctly, I pray, Father, that they would see their need and the reality of their sin and run to Jesus Christ, believe his promises to forgive sinful people, confess their sin, and trust that Jesus Christ has died for them and so be saved. Father, help all of us be impacted by your love for us, your grace for us who comes to seek and to save that which is lost. In the name of Christ, we ask it. Amen.